FMX Network Production. Welcome to the Fly Racing Steve Mathis Show presented by Maxxis Tires, Renthal, Motosport.com, and Kuba Links on RacerXOnline.com. With your continuing gracious support of our sponsors, we're thriving at over 1,800 podcasts delivered with over 20 million downloads. Click the Amazon banner on Pulp MX to help us out. Donate via Patreon if it suits you. And as always, enrich your moto lifestyle by working with the sponsors who support us. The original Moto Podcast, featuring legends of the past, stars of today, season previews, race reviews, introspection, opinion, facts, and laughs. Here's the voice bringing it all to you, Steve Mathis. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the Fly Racing Racer X podcast with Adam Bailey and Ryan Sanderson from the Global Supercross uh, team over there. They got the World Supercross that's been announced recently. So we'll talk to them about their plans and shaking up the industry a little bit and, and also just ask them why now. Uh, all of that kind of stuff that's going on. So, really exciting for, for the sport right now. And Fly Racing is real exciting things going on with those guys as well. Justin Brayton, uh, who I will most certainly bet on riding this series, where is Fly Racing, and whether it's the Formula Helmet, whether it's the Kinetic stuff, that's my favorite, uh, flyracing.com has got it going on. Go to your local dealer, go to motorsport.com, and check out all the latest from Fly Racing. Uh, really got a lot of exciting stuff going on. The Formula Helmet's amazing. If you try the Formula Helmet, you'll never wear another helmet, I promise you. Flyracing.com for more information on that. Renthal as well, whether it's Jason Anderson, whether it's Ken Roxon, Chase Sexton, AC, Cooper Webb, anybody. Uh, they're using Renthal bars and sprockets and chains. Uh, check out Renthal.com for more information. The 7 8 bar, the old trusty bar, twin wall bar that blew everybody's minds and when McGrath started running it back in the day. Uh, Fat Bar, Fat Bar 36, they've got a lot of innovations going on at Renthal. Renthal.com, real cool website with a lot of information and uh, grips, chains, sprockets, bars. Renthal.com. Also, thank you to the folks at Maxxis Tires. SGB Maxxis uh, Honda team. Kate Clayson, he's making main events with Maxxis tires out there. They, get, they make great uh, mountain bike tires. McGrath uses them and developed them. So Maxxis.com for more information on that and support those guys. We'll tell you more about Cobolinks and Motorsport.com in a little bit here. Uh, but let's get into the conversation I had with Adam Bailey and uh, Ryan Sanderson. And now, as promised, on the Fly Racing Racer X podcast, more about this exciting World Supercross uh, plan by the folks at Supercross Global. I've got a couple of the principals with me here to uh, talk about the series. And, man, i got a lot of questions, so let's dive right into it. First up, uh, it, this gentleman is familiar. Uh, his name is familiar with a lot of you people because they've run a successful uh, Australian, New Zealand Supercross series for a number of years. Uh, of course, our guy, JB10. I spoke about this guy as well over the years. It's Adam Bailey. What's up, Adam? How are you, man? Hey, man. I'm doing really well. Thanks for having us. Really appreciate it. No problem. Also on the line joining us, Ryan Sanderson, also from Supercross Global. Ryan, thanks, man. Thanks, Steve. Really excited to talk to you, man. Yeah, awesome. It's uh, it's lots to get into when it comes to this. And, you know, we've talked about it on the Pulp Show. We've talked about it. Uh, uh, we've done a couple of Renthal Reaction podcasts and things like that. I guess we'll start with you, Adam, right away. Um 
obviously, look, we know the uh, the folks at Feld uh, run a successful Supercross series here. They uh, they they broke away from the FIM and Supercross Global attached themselves to that. Why now, Adam? And uh, and when and why uh, the desire to do this for yourself? Uh, you know, obviously, we, we've seen your successful series down under. This is a big reach. This is a big deal. Uh, talk about that a little bit. Yeah, it sure is. I think, um, you know, it probably goes back when we started the AusX Open in 2015, you know, um, we had some success there. And, and it wasn't long after that, that Ryan and I, you know, really started chatting about international expansion, to be honest. The conversation has been going that long where we felt that Supercross was huge, uh, you know, there in the US and had been incredibly successful over a long period of time. And, it's, you know, I mean, first and foremost, we're fans of the sport. I grew up watching Supercross, you know, in the 90s myself and mm-hmm. absolutely love it. You know, raced a bit of motocross myself and, and, and a huge fan. So that's where it all started. But we sort of felt that there was an opportunity for Supercross outside the US. And we felt that, um, you know, that, that, that the sport could continue to grow if it was to go into other regions, you know, where, where, where the Feld wasn't currently going. So we had that plan and that idea for quite from quite a way back. Um, but it wasn't, and we, we did some investigation in Japan. We had meetings there. We had meetings in, in Thailand, in Singapore. Um, and we did expand into New Zealand, which was, you know, part of the plan, you know, from Australia mm-hmm. to New Zealand. And we hoped to go into Asia soon after. That was really something we'd been working on since, you know, 2016, 2017, really. Um so when these world championship rights, um, you know, became available and Feld handed those back to FIM, we really saw that as our opportunity to try and jump on it. And, um, and that's, that's really what we did. And, and the reason is, I guess, we believe the sport has, has a huge opportunity for growth outside the US. We believe that our events in Australia and New Zealand sort of prove that there's a hunger for it. Um, in other regions, as have other successful events in Europe, et cetera, that have happened over the years. We feel like there's a, there's a huge fan base outside the US that are, that are hungry for it. And, and, you know, the reason to attach ourselves to this World Championship rights is because we felt that this is our opportunity to take Supercross around the world and, and show it to a, to a global audience for the, for the first time for a, a, a true global World Supercross Championship. Now, you've obviously been successful, like you said, with the Aussie Open and New Zealand and all of that. Um, when you go to somebody like the FIM and you say, hey, man, um, you know, we'll take that World Supercross uh, designation. How much is involved in that from your end? I mean, look, you got to write a check. We know that. But, like, how much do they do they vet yourself, your series? I don't imagine they've been to any of the races down under. How, how does that process go where FIM says, yeah, Adam, Ryan, Tony, you're our guys? Well, I think we sort of started a relationship with FIM through our New Zealand event, and we linked the Australia and New Zealand events together and called, like, an FIM Oceania Championship. Mm-hmm. So we, again, that was part of our international expansion plan was to was to build that relationship with the FIM back, back then. Um, and so we sort of had some runs on the board where they'd seen what, you know, what we had done there and seen that we could run successful events. So that really helped us. But, but to your point you know it, it was a few months for us strategizing and to mm-hmm. actually you know pitch to the FIM um they you know there was a lot of consideration there and and you know you would have noticed then the request for tender went out when they which was part of the process after we'd we'd already approached them then they went to tender to offer the opportunity to other promoters around the world um you know to mm-hmm. you know because that was part of the process they had to do so um you know luckily for us they had been watching what we've been doing we did have a good relationship with them already and um, they were able to sort of see, you know, our capability, I guess. And the presentation we put together was compelling enough for, um, for them to, 
to to back us to do this. Now, I, you've uh, you've been around the sport a long time. I know we have many mutual friends who speak highly of you guys and the events you run. Um, and I know you've you've been around long enough to know that Feld tried this, right? We we went to Spain, we went to Holland, we went to Geneva. I've been to Bercy, uh, Paris, Lille, Geneva, all these places. So I've seen. I've seen the good and the bad of World Supercross. Uh, I even, as a mechanic, I went with Tim Ferry to France one year. We did one round. It, it rained and it was shitty. But so, I've seen it work and I've seen it not work. Uh, um, Arnhem, not a good. Again, I don't know if you guys remember, but Arnhem, not very well attended. Yeah. Uh, Spain, <clears throat> yeah. uh, Spain was muddy. I guess. And the Feld guys, you know, we went to Canada. Uh, I don't really count that, even though I'm Canadian. I don't really count those. So Feld pulled back a little bit, right? <laughs> it didn't work. Yeah. Uh, they would love to it to work, I'm sure. Why can it work for you guys? Why do you think now is the time, and how, how do you get this to work when maybe some others haven't been able to? Yeah, I think that, you know, um, they did an amazing job. I want to start by saying we, we have a huge amount of respect for what Feld has done in the U.S. And, mm -hmm. and we do appreciate and have taken, you know, a lot of notice in what was done historically. But where I think that um, where we're trying to be different is in is the structure for the teams and the support for the teams. I feel like that was probably the disjointed thing to look back on and for us to learn from is the fact that there wasn't a, um, you know, the teams, you know, as, as you guys have discussed it at length, you know, and I listened to your podcast the other day, you know, the teams that are funded out of the US have no motivation to go outside the US. And so therefore, to be able to do that, there's a, there's always been a push-pull, you know, with regards to who actually pays for them to go and why would they go and why would the riders be motivated to go. Mm -hmm. So, you know, what we're trying to do is provide enough support to those teams initially to help them become globally supported properties or globally supported teams so we're putting you know financial support as you know up front to try and help them make the transition from being us funded to internationally funded and therefore feel like that motivation for them will be a lot stronger um and give them a reason to become international supercross teams where where previously that wasn't there so that that's sort of the first part mm -hmm. The second part, and without knowing why, kind of, you know, not knowing the ins and outs of those particular events and why they sell tickets or didn't sell tickets, I think, you know, we have a, a incredibly connected board, you know, with huge amount of experience in, in um, global events and entertainment events and selling tickets in, in regions. So, you know, we will have to be very smart into the regions that we go to and why we would go there and make sure the hunger for Supercross exists. And there's already been a, a huge amount of research done um, by our investor in Mabadala. Um, they spent two or $300,000 on a research paper to come back to us on what are the regions that already have an existing Supercross audience? Do we feel like that audience would, would buy a ticket? Are they interested in similar forms of entertainment? And um, whether it be Supercross or otherwise, motorsport, you know, MotoGP, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And so there has been a lot of research done in what regions to go to um, where we believe that the the um, the there will be a, a strong market for Supercross and Supercross events. So I think perhaps that data wasn't available back then either. You know, in, in today, there's a lot more data from a digital standpoint with regards to social media, with regards to engagement levels, mm -hmm. with regards to audience prof profiling, ticketing data, you know, sales data, um, et cetera, et cetera, that we're able to pull from to know what markets to go to. Um, whereas I also think back then it would have been a, a little bit of a black art to know will this work in this region or not? And, and it wasn't until they went on sale to find out. You know, I think that sure. we're, we benefit from 
from the the opportunity to have a lot more data. So there's those those couple of things. The world's a much smaller place now than it was back then. So this you, is true. You know, You're right. yep. you, you, you like so. Um, you know, thankfully for us, you know, Feld and ourselves through our efforts and other, you know, promoters have done a great job of spreading the word of what Supercross is and these athletes around the world a lot more so than what, what had happened back then and what was being done back then. Because, you know, right now you can be anywhere in the world and know who Ken Roxon is and you've, and you've seen the news on what he's said today and you know you're seeing the content of these guys daily, you know, and, and engaging with them. Um, whereas previously, again, it's kind of like, you're hoping they've seen them on the TV broadcast. You know, how many people are watching? Where are they watching from is hard to find out, you know. Um, and so there's a bit of like a, a much bigger risk in that sense where you're kind of just going out there and until you go on sale, you really don't know what the result's going to be. So I think we benefit, I think, from from a lot of data and, and a lot of brand building that the sport has benefited from since as well. Well, the press release is out. Uh, five events for 2022. When are we going to see these? Adam, Ryan, when are we going to see these five events? <laughs> so let us know. Well, between well, September and November is the is the schedule that we're going uh, we're going with this mm-hmm. year, and that's to keep it condensed. And where the locations are, um, we'll, we're still deciding. We have we have more than five options at the moment, which is fantastic. We have mm-hmm. great options, but we we won't announce until there's a lot of due, due diligence that has to happen in the background as you would understand make yep. sure the dirt's right make sure the stadiums are right make sure the promoters in each region regions are um you know uh, a, a capable um you know work through the actual agreements with those and then obviously look back at the data that we had you know done previously to make sure that it backs up and that that's the right region to go to so you know, there's a lot that has to happen than rather just choose because the stadium's available and us just go. And this mm-hmm. whole thing, as you, you well know, has been incredibly compressed um, on the basis of the time that it all came together. So, I mean, Sando, you'll back us up. We're working 1,000 miles an hour at the moment. Yeah, I would just support that and say that we wouldn't expect to announce the calendar until May, Steve. Okay. But we may be announcing, you know, one, two or three rounds before then. Um, and the official calendar in May. So we're working really hard, as Adam said, behind the scenes. But it's very exciting and, and particularly coming out of the backside of the pandemic, there's a lot of regions and a lot of governments are really interested in hosting the World Championship event and that's certainly been very positive. A lot of cities and obviously regions around the world are wanting to rebound and events not only in sport but also music and entertainment are coming back very, very quickly and thick and fast, which is exciting. Uh, do you see yourself trying, and I don't expect you to give me the answer, but are you open to partnering with a Geneva or a Paris or these successful European races that have been on the calendars for decades? Is that open for uh, negotiation for you guys to, to, to call one of those rounds of World Supercross rounds? Yeah, for sure. We, we've been having discussions with, with, I mean, you know, we've got a great relationship with Eric Bernard as a close mm-hmm. friend. Um, and, and, if, if it can work commercially for both parties, then for sure, that's definitely definitely something that we'll consider. I mean, we have, again, huge respect for, uh, for what those guys have done and, um, you know, but it, it needs to work. We obviously, the model that we're, we're proposing is, is very different in terms of, um, you know, the number of riders that we're, that we're bringing and the whole show that needs to come into the town, which means that, you know, economically it has to sell a certain number of tickets and the venue has to be able to hold that number. Mm-hmm. Um, so, that again, lo- lots of considerations, but, um, you know, for sure we're, we're definitely open to it. Adam, tell me a little bit about Tony Cochran, uh, president of Supercross Global. Uh, I know he, you guys were in Anaheim. Um, 
he made his mark, let's just say, with a couple of people I talked to. Uh, tell us more about him. I might throw that one to Ryan if you okay, don't mind. He, sure. worked for him, he worked for him at Vet Supercars back in the day. So <laughs> okay. I'm going to throw that one to you, Sander. You, you go for it. <laughs> yeah, thank you. <laughs> um, so I worked with Tony Cochran from 2007 to 2011, uh, Steve, which was, I mean, I finished up 2012, but Tony sold the V8 Supercars business for um, close to $310 million to a private equity firm, Archer Capital, in 2011. Um, so he grew that business from a $55,000 business when he initially bought it and, and obviously built that up over many years to a very successful business that had a, a team-supported model um, with licence and, and what was called racing entitlements contracts where the teams benefited every year as the profitability of the business grew, the teams and their franchise wealth grew, and at the end of, obviously, the sale, they, they benefited. Um, I think there was 26 franchises at the time, and, and they'd all made over $20 million each franchise from all of the revenue distribution over the sort of over 15-year period that Supercars was held. And a lot of Supercars' success and Tony's success was built around what was made up the event. So you, you may have recalled there was an IndyCar race on the Gold Coast and Supercars combined with IndyCar. It was a very successful event, had two to 300,000 attendees, and a lot of its success was built around the music and entertainment, the other elements that were built around the event. Adelaide um, had a very successful event for many years that was actually in so some years more attendees than Formula One in Melbourne and Supercars was always a part of the Formula One events as well. So a lot of the real signature events of Supercars were built around music and entertainment and other elements that grew those attended um, events. And it was, it was really interesting to see the success of that sport by building entertainment and music, particularly around the, that sport. They grew the audience and it quickly became the third biggest sport in, in Australia but also Tony very successfully toured and internationally. So they had races in Abu Dhabi, they had races in Bahrain, they had races in China, in, in Shanghai. They had actually a race at Circuit of the Americas in the US um, during Tony's reign. Sorry. Um, so he grew a very Australian sport and, and quickly turned that international. And from his perspective, he's had great experience with, with music and entertainment. He's also done touring exhibitions, including Real Madrid, um, and Nelson Mandela. So he's he's been he's he's won a Tony Award in Broadway as well. So he's, oh, wow. he's been Jeez. around. In, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Tony very, Award, very impressive. Yeah, yeah. Very, his own very, his own naming rights to the yeah. to the award. <laughs> yeah, very very diverse experience. Yeah. So music, entertainment. He's 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 managed Barry Sheen. He's he's you know been very connected with the Rolling Stones over many years and mm -hmm. toured their exhibition as well as um, toured them in in Australia as well. So. He, he was a visionary for supercars and, and, again, yeah, very much built the success of, around music and entertainment, which for us is a really exciting um, approach to this sport as well. So being in Stadia, it's a very unique international motorsport that you can be in virtually any major city around the world in, you know, 100 multi-million dollar stadiums and, and build music and entertainment, turn the lights off create this immersive experience for fans. So we think this is a really exciting opportunity coming out of the pandemic where obviously a new business started off the back of the pandemic. So we're, we're you know, supercharged, ready to go and got an incredible partner in Mubadala. Um, so we're really excited and we believe Supercross can go global and it's going to have a lot of success. But 
at the same time, we need to build music and other entertainment elements, um, which includes but isn't limited to freestyle motocross and other elements that have been successful for Nitro Circus tours all around the world. Mm -hmm. We're going to be building entertainment and appeal to fans that maybe haven't seen Supercross before, to your point, Steve, um, but are going along for an immersive entertainment experience that's um, fantastic for families, but it's also fantastic for millennials, younger audiences, and also for mum and dads that want to see a true world championship and see a true competition in front of them in a, in a beautiful stadium. Do you see this uh, being on American TV year one in some sort of package? I, I mean, I'm sure you'll have a streaming package and all of that available. Do you see it being on, you know, uh, some sort of cable channel over here? Yes, we're very excited about what the broadcast opportunities are us for the U.S. We've got an incredible agent. Uh, working for us that we haven't um, announced yet, but mm-hmm. he's, he's very, very credible and respected um, TV executive in his own right. And he's working on all of our TV broadcast rights in North America. We're really excited to announce that in the coming months. But the broadcast for us is a, a number one focus, obviously, to Adam's point. We're wanting to grow the commercialization of the, the opportunities for the teams globally, but also Fundamentally, North America is the most important broadcast for us because of so many teams and so many riders obviously wanting to represent their sponsors in the US effectively. So we're, we're pushing really hard to have a fantastic TV package in the US. It's, it's one of our biggest focuses at the moment. But then also we're looking at um, lifestyle you know, TV mm-hmm. series similar to Drive to Survive um, for the sport and looking for a partnership there, but also having you know fantastic streaming opportunities and, and digital opportunities, so shortened clips, highlights. Um, and, and lastly, Steve will be working on new broadcast innovations and trying to have the sport broadcast in a new and innovative way um, that fans may not have seen before. Interesting. Uh, Fly Racing Racerx podcast with Adam Bailey and Ryan Sanderson here uh, from Supercross Global talking about the new world Supercross. Adam, has the 22 told you how many weeks he needs to get in shape for this yet? Has he, has he already reached out? He just texted before to see how many rounds and where, so that tells me he's, he's got the treadmill in front of him yeah, he's, he's thinking ready. about it, that's okay. for sure. Right, he's ready. You know what he's like? He, he's not interested until all of a sudden he's interested, so yeah. we'll see. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> never say never with that guy. No, no, you can never say never for sure. I, I would look for him to be um, uh, on board. I guess, Adam, uh, I'm going to get into specifics of the purse money. 250 k purse per event. That's about double what the guys see now. Uh, $50 million set aside for a number of years to pay riders and teams, I imagine, for supporting and showing up. Uh, I guess, though, what's been – so we, we saw the initial uh, rights uh, press release, the FIM put out, uh, granting Supercross Global the series. Then we saw your press release come out uh, a little while ago. What's been the reaction – you guys came to Anaheim. What's been the reaction from riders and teams to the news of the series? What what sort of have you gotten from them? It's been, it's been really positive. I mean – I think, um, you know, I mean, you guys are well aware of where there's challenges and where there's teams that are funded purely out of the U.S. Those teams, you know, are saying, well, we need support from outside the U.S. to be able to do this. And mm-hmm. that makes complete sense. Um, but for the teams that are privately owned, um, where they have a more global view or brands particularly that want to have a global footprint, um, you know, the, the, the interest has been fantastic. For the riders, I think the, the riders see the potential for... Um, for being an international athlete and, again, an international asset. You know, if you're paid out of one country, which is, you know, the, the U.S., frankly, and the brands out of the U.S., as you, you you know better than anyone, basically cover the cost for all Supercross activity, you know, everywhere, um, which means that pool, that, that pool of funds is only so big. Um, so 
for them to grow and for the careers, uh, for their earning capacity to grow, you know, they need to be um, become internationally funded and the, the riders are the same, you know, to be paid on the level of a MotoGP athlete. That can only happen if that, that support comes from mm-hmm. other regions. Um, and so, you know, that's where we're trying to help is to how to connect those dots. How to, and the reason for the support package we put out there is for the teams that want to come on this journey to be rewarded early, to, to be given the support to help make that transition. And then, um, you know, through what Ryan's doing, provide them a, a, an incredible commercial opportunity where they've got, you know, a, a really strong TV broadcast in the US, obviously first and foremost, but then global audiences and how do we how do we help them become globally recognised again so new brands that may not have been in Supercross currently and, and aren't based in the US but but have, um, you know, interest from other parts of the world and how do we, how do we bring those into Supercross? Um, so I think Supercross in general, the riders um, from from what we've heard and what they've said to us love racing supercross they see the potential for to race more supercross and what that can do for them and their earning capacity um and you know clearly there's going to be challenge for challenges for those that ride for teams that are purely Mm -hmm. us funded but um but we hope that over time um that funding assistance will come from outside the us and therefore their potential to earn and their potential to race you know internationally you know continues to increase so that's that's really what what we see our role to be is to help connect those dots for those guys. Sure, and then so there'll be a list of approved teams. They'll be able to hire some riders. It looks like two two fifty guys, two four fifty guys, and you'll sort of be like, hey, you're an approved team. You're part of a, a of a sharing of the profits, sharing of any subsidies. You're gonna pick your four guys that you want to race for you. We'll take you around, and hey, don't worry. Like, if you need a rider because injuries happen, we'll find a guy. And, and that's sort of the model here, right? I think, yeah, I think what's exciting about it is the model can be completely different than what's been done. Like a, mm-hmm. a team doesn't necessarily, a team doesn't necessarily have to be a set of four guys on the same bike with the same gear, with the same tires and the same sprockets sure, necessarily. Okay. Right, you know, right. Yep. There's no, there's no reason why a team couldn't be, you know, led by a brand that picks, you know, their top four riders um, that could ride off on on different brands of motorcycles potentially, you know, and 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 as a if a rider is underperforming, maybe that rider can be subbed out and another one comes in because we've created, you know, a teams championship, um, manufacturers championship, you know, uh, you know, globally recognised mm-hmm. championships. So we we want to kind of, you know, broaden the horizons for what the team can look like, and that's the that's that's what we're hoping is unique here, and it and it is opening the doors for different kinds of structures and we're not we're not thinking that to have a team you need to go out and buy your factory and your workshop and buy your semi and buy your tools and you know get all your equipment set up necessarily potentially you can hire riders from various other existing teams and have an overarching brand that 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 is the team um sponsor for that you know and and as long as there's not non-conflicting commercial deals and all that kind of thing so so me, you know, me being what the in the teams in- look like could oh, be sorry. could be anything. Me being in the industry and being so like uh, 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 so like into it, I I almost need to open up my eyes a little bit and be like, yeah, it doesn't need to be all Hondas and all sponsored by uh, uh, Renthal bars or whatever. It it can be something mm-hmm. different, right? And I'm probably the old industry guy stuck in the way, but yeah, I see what you're saying. You you, you can open it up a little bit. Interesting. Um, yeah, and I think it, it is it isn't going to be a. You know, we're all opening our eyes to what the potential could be, and it's a. You know, I think that's the thing, right? When, when you're going to try and shift away mm-hmm. something that's been done for a long period of time, it's not going to be a. 
we're not all just going to have a light switch moment and go, oh, yeah, we're <laughs> going to go do it this way now. And we're not saying that necessarily needs to be the case. It's just, you know, the structure that we have, um, you know, and to have those 10 licensed teams, you know, the, the first and foremost, we created that so that the teams themselves could be worth something and that right. they would have a value that could build build over time because we felt that there's a lot of, you know, other than a few factory teams that are able to, to write off the expense as a marketing cost, as, as you guys discussed the other day, for everyone else, there needs to be a commercial reality involved. And so therefore, for these teams to be commercially viable long-term, they need to, you know, build some sort of value. And the only way to build some sort of value, we felt, was to, you know, create a level of scarcity. So, mm-hmm. you know, in MotoGP and Formula One, if, if we all decide we win uh, we win the lotto or we win the um, the lottery and we think we want to start racing MotoGP. we can't just build a bike and hire valentino rossi and turn up this weekend that, that, sure. that's not possible yeah. you know yep. and so supercross is one of the few motorsports at the elite level where the competitors pay to be the show mm-hmm. and so we felt like hey we need to reverse that and also for these teams to be worth something over time we need to create a level of scarcity to create some exclusivity around those teams and what they're doing and their efforts and their investment, et cetera. So to help justify putting mm-hmm. an investment into a team, you know, it's because you believe that the team will be worth something more in a few years' time. And, um, you know, I mean, this this has been incredibly successful for NASCAR as a recent example where, you know, Michael Jordan just bought into a team for $13 million or yep. something, which was worth $3, three million two three years ago. Yeah, know? they have charters, right? And they have team charters. Mm. Yeah. They, they yeah. Exactly. They, they, have, they have 30 36 charters and, yep. and since they've, They've changed that model since I think it was 2016. So it's only been in place for just over six years and they're seeing huge um, tripling or more of value of those charters and they've got mm-hmm. 36. So to Adam's point, we've only got 10. Um, so it's a lot more exclusive, very similar to, say, Formula One. And um, the values should be a multiple. And, and sporting franchises in general are always a higher multiple than most businesses, as, as, yeah. as we know. So it's a very exciting property and, and we will to adam's point earlier we will hero the team owners like a, even in respect to nfl franchise so if you're a world champion in 2022 and 2027 that sits with your team franchise you know during that period mm-hmm. of time so it's like a like a legacy that you leave behind which is, is is awesome for obviously new team owners that want to come into the sport in the future but i i again i got to get my crusty old industry uh, mind around this but i really like the fact that some plumber can show up at houston and put his bike in the main event <laughs> i do i do like that about our sport it's something yeah, that i've talked yeah. about Ustream and 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 in front and you know you got to be sort of uh, uh vetted to get in there and i don't get me wrong guys i like the idea i understand what you're saying but i do love the fact that and adam you you're a moto guy from way back you know you can show up with a regular job and <laughs> maybe make a main event yeah so yeah we, we love and we and we love that too to, to clarify steve like i yeah. love that but i think at a world championship level sure you know an elite level that shouldn't be the case you know you know it, and there has to be a there has to be a pathway for everyone to be able to get in right but at an elite level at a, the highest level around the world right. then you know there probably needs to be some exclusivity there now uh but also go ahead, Ryan. maybe yep. speak about the the wild card system matter because i think that's important to clarify because you could still technically you know try and qualify for a wild card to race at home in front of your home crowd right yeah that's very true yeah i mean we, we that is why that's in place because we still want to create the pathway and you still want if we go to spain for example and they don't have you know um a full-time supercross champion or mm-hmm. or riders that are, that are at that level yet 
then you still want to introduce them and you want the local crowd to have someone to cheer for. And, you know, you know, part of what we're trying to do and what, what is a huge focus for us is to grow the sport in those regions and give talent in those other regions a way, you know, to become world supercross champions that, that hasn't necessarily happened before because, you know, to race in the U S is, is it for, for everyone outside the U S is a huge challenge because you're obviously moving, got to move to a completely new country. You've got to adapt culturally. You've got to try and get access to tracks, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and you're not able to do it at home within your own sort of comfort zone. And so that's, and that's been the only way that the riders have been able to, you know, become professional supercross athletes. So we hope, and, you know, our goal is, is that we can, um, whilst the supercross is definitely, you know, the largest in the U S and that's where the Mecca is at this point in time, we, we hope that we can help provide a pathway that other countries and other regions can, can start to grow supercross talent in time you right. know and then they're not going to be able to click their fingers and compete with the americans you know overnight there's there's no question but we're going to help them you know to be no different the way moto gp does with their with their talent they're going to help help support talent in each individual region to try and you know get those uh get those regions and get athletes represented from around the world in right time. that's the plan now um with the money, you know, you've thrown out in the press release, and obviously you have uh, Mubadala, I uh, probably said that wrong, my bad, uh, investment behind you. Tony sounds like an incredibly successful businessman. What's the, what's the time frame for turning a profit here in this thing? I mean, this is no joke, what, the numbers you guys are throwing around. Um, what's your commitment, do you think, to when you can make this thing profitable for all you guys and for all the teams and everything. I mean, if you want to open your books, you can show me everything, but just give me a general idea. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it, it's a long-term plan. I think that's the main thing to, 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 you know, to put out there is that, you know, no one's expecting this to be an overnight success. You know, um, the great thing about having the battler is they've got to, they do have the financial security to, mm -hmm. to make this happen over a long period of time. It's not like, Hey, if we don't sell out event one, you know, you guys have you guys have failed. You know, we're out of here. Um, the commitment is long term. Mm -hmm. they've, they've they've definitely committed to us a lot up front, which is fantastic, and given us that security. So, you know, our initial financial planning is a five year plan. You know, we hope to revise that over the next couple of years and and um, obviously exceed that. And you know, we'll go from there. But at this point in time, you know, we're uh, we're no we're not expecting. You know, a, a quick uh, a quick buck. This is a long term plan for all of us for sure. Now, when Tony and Ryan and Adam march into Abu Dhabi into the investment firm, do they know anything about Supercross? Do they know about the sport? I mean, look, they they had MXGP there for a couple of years. Um, I think they're. I think my buddy from Canada once raced a like a, an outdoor fair cross there a few years ago. He was he was paid to train a rider, and the the family had tigers laying around. Uh, it was it, yeah, a guy named Mitch Cook. He told me the most insane stories. But the point is, is there some, there is some sort of sport going on in Abu Dhabi. Well, I think I mean the thing that you know to clarify is that whilst Mubadala is a, is a you know sovereign fund from um, from Abu Dhabi, you know um, Russ Pillar, who's our chairman, and Matt Kim is the senior principal from Mubadala are both Americans. Oh, okay, sit on our board. And so, and Russ Pillar is a, he's incredibly successful in his own right. He started the LA Marathon. He was the former CEO of Virgin Entertainment, working with Richard Branson, incredibly successful, you know, on the, mm -hmm. on the global entertainment stage. And those guys, you know, have led investments in, you know, Manchester City Soccer Club, UFC in 2009, sure. IMG Endeavor, you know, the New York Yankees and their, um, their streaming platform, you know, Nitro Circus and Thrill One, they were the, a huge investor in that. So, you know, 
Um, uh, I get it. So it's not, yeah, it's based not, in Abu Dhabi. Right, right. It's they're, not they're like Amer- a, they're, right. they're Americans with global experience. Got it, got it. Okay, well that helps for sure. Um, you guys are at Anaheim. You met some teams. You met some riders, uh, Austrian manufacturers, uh, Japanese manufacturers. You know, you stirred up some shit, right? You know that there's uh, you know a lot of stuff going on in the industry. Um, you know, some people aren't stoked. Uh, you know, Feld MX Sports, who 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 I work for in a term of Racer X. Uh, you're, you're planning in 2023 to run it alongside the Nationals. You guys have uh, stirred up the hornet's nest a little bit here, Adam. Yeah, I think, look, I, I think it, it's definitely not our intention to necessarily, you know, stir up anything. I think what we wanted to do is communicate what our goals and aspirations are, which is just to create a global Supercross championship. Um, again, being respectful of everything that's that, that's existing, and you know, again, huge fans of motocross and supercross ourselves for a long period of time. Grew up watching AMA motocross and supercross, so mm-hmm. we've got great, great, great respect there. But as you well know, the, the calendar is so busy, um, and the year is so busy for riders in the US to try and add anything onto the tail end of that is probably, you know, uh, and expect them to do that year on year would be would be unfair. But whilst we're we're trying to do that this year to 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 keep the series short and give people the ability that are already contracted to come and compete. You know, for us, um, you know, we, we definitely, we don't really see any other option than to, to, to run in that sort of tail half of the year between June and November long-term. Um, and unfortunately means that, you know, it, it, the events will run around the same time as the, the outdoor motocross, mm-hmm. but, um, but we, we've committed to not, not clashing with supercross in any way because you know we feel like again for riders that want to be supercross specialists that that's how that's who this will work for the most or riders and teams that want to be supercross specialists they can finish the uh, the ama supercross and and other domestic championships around the world and then come and compete in the world supercross championship and that's really you know what we sort of wanted to set out to achieve is to to create the the supercross season for those that are interested in doing it um but also you know we wanted to clarify and one of you know one of the things that we we're trying to put out there is that we we're not expecting to take the entire US field and just and put them over here and race in the World Supercross because that's that's not the case. It's it's uh, we feel like it'll you know there'll be there'll be top riders that'll want to race Supercross um, and exclusively for the year mm-hmm. and that's how their season could look, but not all and it won't suit all and they'll, and motocross is obviously the it's the the progression plan to get to Supercross anyway. You have to race motocross. No one becomes is born a supercross rider, right? So, you know, motocross is still an important part of the progression. And so the so we feel like, um, you know, the outdoor motocross will continue to run incredibly successfully. You know, it'll always be the pathway to supercross as well. You know, there'll be riders that, that um, choose to race supercross at a point in time exclusively, and, and mm-hmm. maybe they won't do the outdoors anymore, but we don't feel, you know, that it's going to, um, you know, put a huge dent in, in, in what they're doing. Right. So one of the things I was saying on the shows is, yeah, like I, I feel like a six-round World Supercross at the end of the Nationals would be successful and would work. Um, you don't see that, though. You don't, there's not enough time in it from what you see to, to do something like that? I don't think so. I mean, well, this year is a great is a great example. It will be a great test, mm-hmm. you know, for that. And it's just that for for longevity for riders. I mean, we want to provide a platform that gives riders longevity in their careers as well. And you know, so that at the you know they they can be supercross athletes and maybe it's a bit less taxing on their body long term. But to try and do it at the tail end, you know, after doing outdoors as well, you know, would be would be really challenging. So. 
you know, I think at the end of this year we'll sort of really tell what that looks like. And as we as we sure. you know continue to talking to people in the industry, you know, I mean, we're uh, we're certainly keeping our eyes and ears open with with feedback across the board. But um, but you know, we kind of feel that to to again be a supercross specialist that that, that you know that timing probably um is going to be what it is. But right. but again, we'll be seeing how we go this year first and foremost. Thanks for listening to the Fly Racing Racer X podcast with the Global Supercross guys. Looking forward to talking to them some more. Thank you again, Renthal and Maxis, and of course the folks at Fly Racing. And also, thank you, Cobolinks, built and uh, developed in Boise, Idaho. Use the code PulpMX to save at cobolinks.com. You can also get them through the motorsport.com as well. Lowering suspension links from everything from Aprilia to Yamaha and gain some, gain some more confidence. Get your suspension working better. If you're shorter of stature, if your wife or girlfriend rides and they want to touch the ground, Cobolinks makes a link for you and they're uh, reasonably priced and you can use the code PULPMX to get free shipping and to get a better price as well. So thank you to those guys. And motorsport.com, OEM on aftermarket parts, free shipping on everything over 79 bucks. Dedicated team of gearheads there to work together to make sure you get your parts as quick as you can for the best deal you can. Thanks to motorsport.com. Go through the banner on PulpMX or PulpMXShow.com to save. And we get a small slice of that, so we'd really appreciate it. So Motorsport on board with us. And uh, all right, back to the show with the uh, World Supercross news. Do you, um, you know, obviously the Jet Lawrences and Chase Sextons and these guys that are in the prime of their careers, they're contracted by American Honda and or American Kawasaki or whoever it may be, Cooper Webb. Uh, I don't know. I mean, obviously everybody's contract comes up and there comes a time where a rider could negotiate these. Do you need, I mean, you mentioned it earlier, you don't expect to take the whole paddock in America and drop it into your series. Do you need, though, the elite of the elite to make your series run, do you feel? Or, you know, Kenny's near the end of his career, Marvin, Justin Brayton, that, that 22 guy. Can, can a series run with those alone? Or do you see that, hey, man, no, we need, you know, some of the elite elite guys in their primes to race our series? Yeah, I think we, we definitely do, and we definitely want – want to provide a platform worthy for those guys to do that. You know, I think that's important. You know, we're not, um, you know, we're not, uh, you know, expecting them to make a decision that's not going to be better for them. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that's the thing, right? And that's what's on us. We've got to create a championship that has a global reach, has an amazing television package, like Sando was saying before, you know, you know, goes to fantastic cities around the world. And we've got to give them, you know, something worth wanting to compete in, you know, in a world championship worthy uh, of, uh, of them to do in their prime of their careers. Now, we don't expect it to be an overnight changeover when the industry is a certain way and the riders are contracted, like you said, you know, that's that's not the case and that's not going to be easy. But right. there are riders that want to do Supercross only now and there are riders that are, that are looking for that in their contracts like they have over the years and JB's done it really successfully. Um, so yeah. our, our job really is to create an amazing world supercross championship. And then the riders that, uh, that see that opportunity for themselves and the teams as well, then, you know, it'll be up to them kind of thing. You know, we definitely want them. I think long story short. Right. The, the, uh, our guy Brayton, I mean, he's the envy of the, of the pits when you talk to riders, right? You know that I'm sure, uh, he does financially very well racing your series over the years. He races American supercross and all the riders are like, I wish I had JB's program. So, you know, I, there is something there, uh, as far as a desirable, uh, thing that Justin Brayton has, has, has done. Yeah. I mean, I think exactly. I think it's a bit of a, it's a bit of a proof of concept really to what JB has been able to do and the longevity he's got out of his career and mm-hmm. at his age to be as competitive as he is. I mean, he's doing an amazing job 
you know, being inside the top 10 against the, the field that he's in at, um, what, 37 years age, of age, it's, it's incredible. So that a lot of that comes down to the fact that he has made this super cross only move over the past number of years and he has done an amazing job to, to do so. Um, so we do feel like that's a bit of a proof of, of concept and, you know, that's what we, we hope that, uh, that riders will see that and, and um, we're now giving them that, them that choice too, I guess, to be able to make that, that kind of move. Do you foresee a round in the, in the U.S.? For sure. We definitely want to. Yep. yep. Uh, at some stage, you know, um, we couldn't tell you if that'll be this year or next or, mm-hmm. um, you know, but, but definitely it's, uh, definitely it's on the agenda. I mean, you know, again, we, we completely appreciate, um, the U S is the biggest fan base for supercross. You know, we did that research and it, it definitely supported that. So we're not going to certainly not going to ignore the U S fans. Um, we know they have a lot of supercross to choose from at this point in time. We want to make our own spin on it and, and um, you know, give this world championship some some differences and what's been done currently. But absolutely, we want to be racing in the U.S. I'm going to dance around this next question. You can answer it however you want. Um, came to Anaheim too. Some noses were out of joint with the way that you guys did some things. Now, again, I wasn't involved in any of this. I'm just getting it secondhand. Do you have... Do you wish you would have done something different when you came up to Anaheim a little bit, or do you feel like that criticism that you know is out there with you guys is that unfair? Uh, I think don't dance around it. Go, like, tell us what do you think? What was the? Well, just, what did you hear? And you we'll, know, we'll you, answer it directly. Yeah, you, you kind of you, you you got credentials from the folks at Feld. They didn't really know what it was about, and then you know there were some meetings with teams, and then the teams you know tell the Feld guys because we're all around and. Feld's like, oh, we didn't know they were going to pitch this series to them. MX Sports is involved. Uh, what are they doing? They're, you know, almost like you guys went in with you didn't you you you, you didn't ask permission. You're just going to ask forgiveness afterwards. Uh, so just yeah, real talk. Do you feel like you is that criticism just not fair for, for from your end of things? I think, um, you know, I think it's it's understandable that people are going to, I mean, we're, what we're obviously proposing is big change and mm-hmm. it, there's not, not everyone is going to like that. And it's going to, some people it's going to suit incredibly and they're going to say this is, and, and they have said this is amazing. This is exactly what we've wanted. I can't believe it. This is, this is fantastic. There's going to be others that say, we're happy with how things are right now. We race in the U.S. My focus is in the U.S., so I'm not interested in this, or I don't want this to happen. Mm-hmm. So we can we completely appreciate both sides. I think um, you know. So from the 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 sort of ticketing perspective, we bought a, a suite in um, A2, paid full price for it, and, and went about it that way. Okay. Um, but we did reach out. We did reach out to Feld, and have since had a call with Dave Prater ourselves, just to introduce ourselves and kind of open the dialogue to to say, hey, you know. Um, Again, this is what we're about. We, yep. we're, we're huge fans of Supercross. We huge fans of what you do. We want to go globally. You know, um, we're not going to clash with you on dates. Let's keep the conversation, you know, open. I think that that was a conversation that unfortunately hadn't happened before A two, but then has since. Has so it. that okay. was really important. Okay. Yeah, mm. and so that that conversation went really well. And um, I mean, Sando, you know, you had your thoughts on that too. Yeah, I, I met with Mark Newey at San Diego, Dave. Crater wasn't there at that event. I was obviously there the, the weekend before as well. I think for us, timing, you know, when you're there for one day, as you would know, Steve, even from your perspective, it's impossible to see everyone in that that short period of, of time on a Saturday like that. So certainly wasn't our intent to dismiss any meetings that we couldn't get to, but we certainly tried to see as many people face-to-face as possible on that day and night. And, and we did see a lot of people, but also we did hear a lot of, you know, 
know, this happens, you know, Chinese whispers and different different things eventuated and a lot of things that weren't said or weren't mm-hmm. actually factual came out as well, you know, and you, and you get that. You, you obviously get a lot of, obviously, conversations that come out of these situations. But I think fundamentally from our side, you know, catching up with Dave Prater afterwards was really important for us to um, catch up with him directly and, and clarify a few things and also just show each other the mutual respect sure. that we have for both organisations, which... We, we do to Adam's point. We've always had credible respect for Feld and, and it's also been very humbling to hear the respect from the American industry for what we've achieved with Isaac's Open and, and Auckland respectively. So I think the, the respect for and appreciation for the sport is, is there fundamentally and, and also these, these athletes are incredible. They're incredible sports people and, and they're highly respected from Formula 1 drivers. They're highly respected for the MotoGP athletes. They are arguably some of the most talented and and incredible athletes in the world. So fundamentally, we're celebrating the sport and wanting to take it international and grow the audience, which will um, grow the interest in motorcycling, which will grow the interest in people getting into motocross and buying motorcycles. And fundamentally, it'll benefit all, all parties. So we see this as a huge positive. We understand it's definitely changed and it's definitely changed for the history of the sport and, and, and the way it's been done. But but fundamentally, we're all coming at it for the, for the right reasons and to celebrate what is an incredible sport and incredible athletes. Yeah, I mean, look, hey, uh, again, I work for RacerX, uh, MX Sports, uh, sister company. But uh, whether competition's good, whether it's in motocross podcasts, whether it's in uh, supercross races, you know, I've, I've said this, I'm, I've been doing this show for 10 years, and I thought paying the teams to provide riders is something that Feld has always sh- should be doing. Uh, and you can go back and check the record on that. Share... A rising tide lifts all boats, right? Um, but certainly, yeah, exactly. it's going to take it's going to take a little bit of adjustment by everybody to see you guys come in. And you're not even damn Americans either. But no, I'm kidding. But um, <laughs> hey, we got a, we got a lot of team members that are though. Just remember that. Yeah, We're big fans good, of Americans. Good point. Um, how does? Uh, okay, so I don't even know. I was speaking to um, uh, a team guy the other day, and he said to me, "How do I get a hold of these guys?" And I'm like, "I don't know, man." Uh, have you been contacted by teams? I know one for sure. Like, I mean, we can already pencil in Justin Brayton and Moto Concepts. We're just going to – that's one team. Let's just go with that. Uh, have you been contacted by other teams? And how do people do that? And what's the vetting process? And what's sort of the buzz you're getting from, as you said earlier, the private teams that, that you know, have no national obligations? Yeah, it's been really strong. There's a lot of teams reaching out, definitely. Um, we've had a lot of calls with Mike Genova. He's a great guy. And, you know, I mean, it was actually Chad Reed and, and JB, but Chad Reed that suggested we call him in the first instance just because he's a he's a fantastic entrepreneur and a, and a and successful guy and he'll have good input from someone that spent a lot of his own money to race Supercross out of passion and love for it. Um, so, you know, there's guys like him that we can learn from to go, hey, how do we make this a commercial opportunity for the people that are willing to spend millions of dollars to go racing? And so... We've we've lent on his experience to 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 talk to him about it from the get go, so that's been super super helpful for us. But um, but there's been all kinds of uh, different approaches. JB is is uh, has passed on my my email details to a few people that okay. have been reaching out to him. Um, we're happy to do the you know do the same with yourself and um, you know probably probably not over the podcast in case. Of, <laughs> no, probably uh, not. No, I'm not sure, but, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. uh, by all means, we're where there is quite a few that are reaching out and, mm-hmm. and um, you know, they want to know what's the deal. How yep. do we get involved? And, and essentially it'll be, uh, we'll, we'll vet all of those as a board. We'll sit down and we'll be extending a, um, 
expressions of interest um, form, for lack of a better word, along with a long form, um, what we've called the Supercross Teams Entitlement Agreement contract over the next couple of weeks. And we'll submit those, um, we'll put those out to the teams that have reached out to us. And then as a board, sit down and talk about each of the teams. Um, because again, we're looking for a couple of things, obviously experience in Supercross or, um, you know, past history is great. But, but not necessarily the only thing. Um, we also want uh, we also want a, a solid spread from um, international regions. You know, we're, we're hearing from teams in Australia, teams in Europe, you know, teams in the US, obviously. Um, you know, Asia, we'd really like to support a team or teams out of Japan and Asia and actually, you know, um, whether the operation um, still is based in the US initially or not, you know, is, is kind of something that's open. And like we talked about earlier, the, the way these teams work could be, unlike what has been done before and, and the factory teams or or current teams in the US could still provide technical support and bikes and equipment and the you know the, the um, IP necessary for a team based out of Japan perhaps to initially get involved in supercross you know we sort of feel like that how that works could be could be quite different than what's been done before so we're really trying to help where, where there's teams reaching out that may be better suited together we're also trying to make sure. those connections too and say hey you should speak to Mike Genova, or you should speak to, you know, so-and-so so -and -so mm -hmm. in the U.S. because they can help you and uh, they can help you prepare the machinery and, you know, this is a good way to do it. So that there's no kind of simple um, simple method for everyone, but it, we're kind of playing matchmaker a little bit there to try and bring the, the best together. So we have a good spread of international teams, but also the, the correct knowledge and know-how that the, the best riders in the world are going to be comfortable riding the, the bikes too. Ideal world in 2023, how many rounds? For you. Uh, you we've think? set around 10 okay we've set around 10 you know um think you know this year we've going we're going with five we said five to six to begin with we mm -hmm. think that's a it's a it's a good number um and then growing to to 10 next year i mean we we definitely have enough regions and cities um interested to do that but again you know yep. we're trying to take it incremental learn as we go we want to make sure we get the right feedback we go to the right regions we, we don't want to rush into regions just because they want to have it if it's not going to be great for the sport and for the for the championship and our brand as well so you know there's so much to consider as you well know that you know to make to make these things happen you know i mean the, the ausx open was two years in the making before that happened for one event you know mm -hmm. we're trying to put together a whole championship in in six months so you know we've got to be incremental in our in our approach and and calculated and um make sure make sure we do it right we've got to we're going to make the right impression. That's for sure. That's, that's the, the number one thing. Yeah. You only get one chance at that, as they say, I've heard. Um, the, uh, right. yeah, exactly. Um, what, uh, what's been the most memorable Ozx open for you? What do you think's been the most? Uh, I mean, is there one that stands out? Also, I mean, for me, yeah, Sando, Sando, leave it to him to answer for himself. But for me, the first one mm -hmm. and, 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 um, you know, I mean, you know, I'll say we were young guys and, you know, we like to think we are now, but that was a while ago now. But, you know, to see that all happen and when that event started to – and we'd sold out. We sold out within 10 days, which was incredible. I mean, we obviously took a huge risk and sold it out within 10 days. And um, to see that that event happen and to see the fireworks start and the whole thing roll and, to you know, the crowd cheer and yep. it gives me, um, you know, it gives me goosebumps thinking about it. So, for me personally, that moment is the – is the best we've ever had, but, but I'll let, um, I'll let Sando answer for himself. Yeah. I'm going to go with the last one. Actually, I'm going to say to have 35,000 fans in Melbourne, in Marvel stadium and, and have 35,000 fans to a supercross event in Australia, which was arguably the largest 
ever in history by over 10,000 people. Um, that for me was, you know, a really touching moment because we, we actually had probably 33% of the fan base actually endemic fans and the rest were there for entertainment and, a, and more of a family audience. And that, that proved to us that this sport has a lot of growth and a lot of opportunity if done um, correctly and, and we believe it can go into new markets. So it was a really touching experience to do it in, in Melbourne in an iconic venue in Marvel Stadium and, and have 35,000 fans. And we, we felt that that could grow further from there and we, we feel the sport can continue to grow much larger than that. So that, that gave us a lot of you know, positive energy for the future of the sport. All right, before we go here on the uh, Fly Racing Racer X podcast, presented by the folks at Renthal and Maxis, Cobolinks and Motorsport.com, I'll go Adam and Ryan. I'll, I'll start with you, Adam. Uh, listen, I, I don't, I, I'm Canadian. I'm super bitter that we've barely been able to, to produce one legendary motocross racer ever. We maybe have two in my whole life. Australia keeps cranking them out, and I'm very bitter and upset. I never thought, though, Adam, that anybody – would touch Chad Reed and his records and everything he's done. But damn it, this Jet kid, he could do it. He's literally the next guy coming, and he could be better than Chad Reed. It's amazing that the the, the potential this kid has. Oh, I totally agree. I mean, it's a, it's a, to be better than Chad Reed is a, is a massive, massive call. <laughs> well, first <laughs> of all, if Chad, Chad knew not. we were talking about that, he would he would be very mad. He'd be very angry. Well, but. I'm 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 worried he's going to listen, so that's why I'm not going to say anything <laughs> about it. But um, but <laughs> but um, but no, I mean, Jet, I mean, Jet is an incredible, incredible talent. As is Hunter. I mean, if we just had Hunter, yeah, we would be as Aussie, we'd be wrapped. But the fact that we have Jet and Hunter is is just awesome. And what's exciting about them both really but the jet is the we feel like they he has the charisma and the marketability to help us as a sport cross boundaries into new audiences you know and that's what's that is where the opportunity is you know he's like a new travis pastrana or someone that can can help us really uh you know be a poster boy for, for supercross he's a great looking kid he's incredibly talented so if you obviously we, we want him to win races as aussies but us as uh you know marketers you know want him to um to continue that brand and doing what he's doing and you know, I don't know how I don't know how um, those guys came about, but they lit to, to arrive on the scene the year that Chad retired was mm-hmm. a pretty amazing blessing too for us Aussies, that's for sure. What do you think, Sando? Does he have a chance to beat Reed's records? Yeah, I mean, I'm a, I'm obviously a huge fan of Reed as well, but I think what I love about Jed is he's always the first to thank the fans in every speech, and he he gets it. He gets he gets where you know his success comes from is obviously how well he can you know, generate a fan base and, and really, you know, be thankful for his opportunities. And he's got a fantastic upbringing. I mean, so does Hunter. They've both got their head on their shoulders and they're, they're great advocates for the sport. And, man, they're incredibly talented. I mean, you know, we had Jed out here in 2019 and he was, I think he was the third or fourth most popular rider back then when he was just a young kid. So he's he's doing a phenomenal job. And and the followers that they have on social media already is, is larger than, the Australian Football League over here, which is the biggest sport in Australia. So they're already bigger um, in their social media following than the best AFL players in Australia, which is the national sport over here. It's sort of like the NFL in the US. So they're huge icons and, and massive, you know, sports stars already. And as we saw with Chad Reed, he, he made the, the Forbes list of, you know, 
one of the most successful financially. So it's a huge opportunity for these guys to be global megastars and they're well respected by Dan Ricardo as another Australian icon. So it's, it's great for Australian sport, but it's also great for sport globally. And I think Supercross to have such young, talented stars that are really thankful and, and commercial, um, you know, like they are, they're very savvy already. So really exciting for the future. Uh, I'd like Jet to cra- I'd like to get to crash a little bit less <laughs> because I feel like he, he gives us like I've nearly had a couple of strokes. Like when he nearly won that, that when he nearly when he crashed a few times at for that yeah. AMA motocross championship. You know, I could yeah. feel like blood clots starting to build in my brain, and then it, when he crashed the other day, I thought, oh man, he's doing it to us again. So yeah. um, you know, just a little bit. You know, for him, he's young; he can bounce, <laughs> off, he can bounce off the ground a little bit. Yeah. For us older right. people that are cheering him on it. Yeah, I'd rather make it a bit easier on us. Listen, I, know- I, I love that he can race. So sorry, Steve. Yeah. I love that he can race so fast and then still confuse a checkered flag. Oh, flag dude, you know, yeah, like- yeah. He's, <laughs> oh, man. He, he's, he hasn't done that. But <laughs> yeah, he, he's a piece of work. Listen, I, I know Reed. Again, he won't listen to this, but if Reed will get mad that I'm going to even go to say this because uh, he wants to race. You know, the whole series in the 450 class. There's no doubt about it. But if you guys could just get Stu, he's slimmed down now. He looks good. Stu and Chad, you know, you had Ronnie Mack and Ricky, right? Yeah, at one point, you had Ronnie Mack and Ricky going at it. Just take Stu and Chad around the world, and, and they could do five-lap sprints. It'd be fantastic. We, we would 100% support that, Steve. If you can make it happen, we'll give you the naming rights. <laughs> okay. No question. All right, fantastic. <laughs> uh, Stu's not real good at getting back to people, but I'll try. Um, well, uh, guys, thanks for doing this. I appreciate it. Uh, as I said before, uh, competition's a good thing. Looking forward to seeing what you guys can do with this. Um, absolutely. Um, you're shaking it up a little bit and, uh, I guess there's nothing wrong with that. So, um, thank you for the time. Good to know more about the uh, world supercross series. And again, five races coming up in the fall, bigger plans in the future. Uh, thanks very much for your time, everybody. I really appreciate it. Adam, Ryan, Zach, Mike. Thanks guys. Thank you so much, Steve. Appreciate it. Thanks so much, Steve. Keep it up, mate. Great work. Thank you. This has been the Fly Racing Steve Mathis Show presented by Maxxis Tires, Renthal, Motorsport.com, and Kuba Links on RacerXOnline.com. Thanks for listening and supporting our partners.